According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 8 once again. Proverbs chapter 8. I am lightheaded and loopy, thanks to the antihistamines and uh, whatever else that's uh, keeping me breathing during cedar season. So if I say if there's any uh, heresy that comes out this morning, I'm going to blame that. Preaching under the influence. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God the Father to set aside distractions and to take hold of our thinking, even with the antihistamines. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for this day and the blessings that we have and the middle of our week, Father, to come together and study from the truth of your word. I thank you for this class. It's been a blessing for a long, long time. And I thank you for what you're blessing us with in the book of Proverbs. Father, we ask for humility to receive the word implanted. We ask for, uh, Father, your hand of blessing because this is a chapter that has some very deep things uh, connected to it. And I pray that we would uh, broaden our understanding and, and that, Father, you would open the eyes of our understanding that we can see this truth for what it is. And I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. We're dealing with um, a lot of imagery and we're looking at personified wisdom. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? And wisdom is spoken of in the feminine because the noun itself, chachma, is a feminine noun, all right? Same thing in Greek, by the way, when you get to the New Testament, Sophia is a feminine noun when it comes down to it. And it, uh, it's useful in that regard because uh, David and has been uh, teaching his son Solomon, and now Solomon with his children uh, is passing along the wisdom to sons as far as being on guard and watching out for the strange woman, the, the foreigner, the harlot, as uh, we've studied it. And so uh, using the Word of God to guard your soul, obviously every believer needs to do that, but it's useful then to personify wisdom and to speak of wisdom uh, in, in a personified way, all right? And it does so in the poetry of this book. But we want to be clear as we deal with this that we're not going places that the cults want to go or non-Christian religions or all the evil things that are done with this. There are groups that will look at this and view uh, Lady Wisdom as a goddess, as the queen of heaven, or as a, a, not just the personification of wisdom in a poetic use or in a, in a metaphoric application, but they will actually take this in such a fashion that they find uh, you know, a, a fourth member of their trinity, or they find an additional deity in their pantheon, and they will uh, use this, uh, particularly the feminists will try to use this as the goddess uh, that they want to serve in, uh, in different ways. And so, obviously, we're not going to do that. We're going to understand this for what it is, accepting the metaphor for what it is, and comparing it to other passages of Scripture where the same thing happens. And guess what? In other passages of Scripture where they do it, they go to the masculine pronoun. They go to the masculine gender, such as, in the beginning was the logos, all right? Hall logos is a masculine noun. And so now we have... uh, Uh, a problem maybe if uh, we're going to really try to be stupid with these things now all of a sudden now we've got uh, both a feminine and a masculine so what do we do with this (laughs) okay because they both refer to jesus christ when it comes right down to it We're, we're we're talking about god the son we're talking about the member of trinity that comes forth and reveals the father and this is not something new all right and part of why i want to expand our thinking is to try to think in large terms with a panorama view of Scripture from the Alpha to the Omega and consider what is it that Jesus does, okay? And so in revealing the Father, understand that this is something He's always done. This is something that didn't start with, uh, with uh, the incarnation. It didn't start with His earthly walk in, uh, in, in Galilee, all right? Jesus Christ has been revealing the Father long before that. Jesus Christ has been revealing the Father longer than humanity has been around because during the angelic stewardship, Jesus Christ was revealing the Father. And there was that unity between the Father and His Son even during the angelic stewardship before any humanity came about. So 
some of these things, I, I want to take the time to maybe slow down and maybe expand to understand what is a metaphor, to understand how poetry makes use of the imagery, where we don't get lost in the imagery, where we understand the reality that's behind it. All right? Otherwise, I just think you open yourself up to any kind of ludicrous, uh, you know, like, I am the door. You know, from John, do we think that Jesus is lumber or something? He's hanging on hinges. He's, you know, he swings open and shut. No, he's not a not a physical, literal door, but the metaphor communicates truth. And so when he says, I, wisdom, there's the metaphor there. It's the poetry of the Hebrew language that's communicating truth. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. There is, uh, he is the righteousness of God. And, and we understand that because it is what takes those attributes from God and provides it to our account imputes it to us, makes it available for us to access and possess and enjoy and and relate to. In any event, we now have personified wisdom in chapter 8. And this is a sharp contrast with the cunning woman of chapter 7. And we can do a lot of back and forth. We did some of that last week. We may do some more today. We've done a lot of back and forth between that cunning woman of chapter 7, the adulteress, the harlot, the one that is is happy to find uh, the, the uh, knucklehead, happy to find the naive youth, right? Out of my window I saw, and here was a youth lacking sense, and he's getting in trouble. He's in the wrong part of town, and he keeps going there again and again and again. And uh, I call him pethy, just after the Hebrew noun for the, for the naive, all right? And uh, the, the strange woman, the cunning woman, is very, very happy to encounter the naive young man. Because she knows that he's an easy victim. She can pick him off quicker than anything, and it's not tough, okay? You know, a young man that's, uh, you know, it's not hard to seduce a young man. If he's not living in the Word of God, and he's not uh, occupied with Christ, he doesn't have the divine norms and standards, uh, pretty much any woman on the planet can seduce any young man on the planet uh, without those divine norms and standards, okay? Because that's just the nature of of, uh, an adolescent young man. Well, now here's the corollary. Here's the, or the antithesis. Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, is also delighted to encounter Pethy, all right? But not for the victimization of it, not for, the, not for what she gets out of it. She is delighted to encounter Pethy because she can bless Pethy. She can minister to him. She can provide for him what he needs to grow out of that, to mature, to become a, a, a man of faith and avoid that other woman when it comes right down to it. So uh, as we look at these first 11 verses here, she's calling out, uh, does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? And that's different. All right, She's announcing for anyone to hear, on top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. And she is positioned in such a way that she has a maximum uh, audience, a maximum value to her calling out, that the, the most number of people possible can hear her as she is calling out and offering the wisdom that she offers. Beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. And there is a place for wisdom in public life. There is a place of wisdom in, the, uh, in business, in the judiciary. Uh, there's a place for wisdom in the private life, in the homes. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Multiple generations here. The wisdom that uh, is, is going to cause this young man to grow up is the wisdom he's going to keep clinging to after he does grow up. He's never going to stop clinging to lady wisdom. He needs wisdom uh, at every stage of life. And so that's to the men and to the sons of men. Multiple generations. And in a lot of ways, it's actually highly beneficial for the younger generations to see the older generations and to watch the walk that they have with, with wisdom. O oh, naive ones, understand prudence. O oh, fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. The point for paying attention to this woman is not the, uh, the, 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 the great sex you're going to have or all the, the carnality that she's offering you and all the earthly pleasures that she's offering you. She's offering you things that are eternally of eternal value. Not just the momentary, light of, uh, the momentary pleasures of sin, the passing pleasures of sin. 
What she's offering is of eternal value. It's called truth. <laughs> okay? My mouth will utter truth. And this is the eternal value that's going to build you up in the faith and strengthen you in the inner man and bless you for all eternity as you walk in the truth. For my mouth will utter truth and, the w- and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And that other woman had, you know, lips and that, that were dripping. All right, and there's a seduction in that. You, those flattering lips and, and uh, sweeter than honey to the taste and all kinds of other things. And, uh, and there it is. You know, it's almost like James. James talks about this the same tongue that curses. It's the same tongue that blesses. And, and that's why we have to be careful with how we use our tongue and why we have to be very diligent in mastering the tongue and uh, can be used for godly purposes, can be used for horrible purposes. And that's the same thing with, with lips. All right. Do we want to be, you know, kissing the lips of that adulteress or do we want to be listening to the lips of Lady Wisdom as she speaks the, uh, the truth. The utterances of my mouth are in righteousness and there is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver, knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. And really, there's the conclusion. These are the first 11 verses here of this chapter as Lady Wisdom is personified. And what a contrast. Because she's not here to victimize the young man. She's here to bless him both in time and in eternity. All right, so a lot of things we can glean out of this. Uh, Unlike the harlot, Wisdom shouts in clear declaration of her presence and her purpose. All right, and I think that's an extraordinary contrast. When the harlot showed up, um, she just had a message for his ears and hear, his ears only. All right, she seizes him. She says to him, but meanwhile, look how unstable she is, and she's prowling from here to there to there to there. Um, back in Proverbs seven ten, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home, so there's no stability there. She's always moving from this to the next. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, lurks by every corner. And that is, that is vivid. That is different from Lady Wisdom. Notice Lady Wisdom took a fixed stand on a high place at the crossroads. She's not lurking from place to place, prowling and hunting and waiting to pounce. She is standing and calling and, and inviting um, the young man to come to her. And so she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him. And so now she's got this uh, seduction going on and she's speaking to him and to him only. Okay? Not announcing to the world. She's not shouting to the world, saying, oh, wow, look at this. I'm going to seduce this idiot. Okay? She doesn't want other people hearing the conversation. Okay, certainly not the last guy she had this conversation with and certainly not the next guy she's going to have this conversation with. She only wants this guy to hear what she has to say this time. Okay, it'll be a different guy next time. What a contrast. As far as Lady Wisdom goes, she's shouting to everybody all day, every day. Every guy needs to listen to what she has to say. So big contrast there. Also, The harlot seeks to trap the naive, but wisdom seeks to instruct him. One is enslaving and one is is freeing. It really comes down to that, the difference between slavery and freedom. We We want to be set free. Jesus says, I will set you free. The truth will set you free if you become disciples of mine. See, wisdom sets you free. Carnality enslaves you. And so uh, here she is. She's a hunter of souls. We studied that as well. But wisdom seeks to instruct him it's not about what what uh the lady wisdom is not benefiting she's not getting anything out of this she's providing for this young man and as we ran out of time we looked at the third principle here from verses uh, 10 through 11 the wealth of wisdom surpasses any material wealth accumulation it surpasses any material wealth accumulation and so you can take proverbs 8 verses 10 through 11 you can compare it back to what had previously been taught in in chapter 3 
verses 13 through 18, as well as a very lengthy discourse that comes in the book of Job, Job chapter 28. And the oldest book of the Bible, I think, has maybe the longest and clearest um, description of wealth and the description of mining and, and how it is that, that jewels are obtained and, and precious metals and how it is that it takes hard work to dig that stuff out because it has value the scarcity of it, and, and all the rest. There's a lot of capitalistic uh, economic principles that can be gleaned out of Proverbs 28, or out of, I'm sorry, Job 28. And then when you do that, also compare it to the Word of God. Because the Word of God, you can't dig it out of a mine, right? Not an earthly mine. You gotta, it comes from God Himself. And it's, it's not even worthy to be compared. There's no economy of scale where you can, uh, there's no exchange rate between uh, earthly currency and wisdom. See. So there's a powerful uh, contrast there. Anyway, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. If I, I risk losing a ton of progress if we do turn to Job 28, so I'll let that go. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the MP3, turn to that passage, go through not just 15 through 28, get the first 14 verses in front of that as well. Uh, because there's a lot of descriptions there as it relates to mining, as it relates to the uh, industry in the ancient world for sinking a shaft and taking torches down there and, and uh, obtaining blessings out of the darkness. Okay, Different aspects there. Let's move on to the second realm, though, verses 12 through 21. 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And we've already had wisdom introduced. This is not the first verse that has um, the first person address, all right? But it is a first person address. And in this uh, address, we have a lot of truth that's being communicated here from Jesus himself to the reader, to us, and we want to know it for what it is. Wisdom speaks in the first person as to her associations and disassociations. Who it is that she surrounds herself by? Who does she live with? What does she offer? What does she enjoy? And what does she have nothing to do with? Okay? You learn a lot about a person by their associates. You also learn a lot uh, about a person by their disassociates. Okay? Someone unfriends you on Facebook. uh, you You learn something, right? Oh, all right. That's how it is, huh? Well, it is what it is. All right? And you find out that, uh, well... There wasn't much of a friendship anyway when it comes down to it. And uh, where's, the, where's the fellowship going to be? Wisdom speaks in the first person as to her associations and disassociations via a love-hate dichotomy. A love-hate dichotomy. We want to understand this. And I think in particular because um, the world uh, uses this kind of language to try to mock the Word of God. And they pervert things like love. And they even pervert hate into different things. And, and we want to understand that because you're going to be accused of being a hater if you love the Word of God. And if you, don't, if you don't understand why they're using that to try to beat you up and try to get you to change your definition of love, then it can, be, it can bother you. So we want to make sure we're solid on what God's definition of love is. We want to make sure we're solid on what God hates and what He expects us to hate. If we don't hate what God hates, we need an attitude adjustment. Because we are maladjusted to God's love-hate standard. And it is a love-hate dichotomy. They're both true. Don't fall for the either-or trap. He loves what he loves, and because of what he loves, he also hates what he hates. And it's not, it's, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not opposites. Hate is a love application. So if we, if we can embrace the both-and, if we can recognize the love-hate dichotomy, we can embrace the love-hate dichotomy. And I use that word deliberately. I like the term dichotomy. I like, you know, the dichotomous man that's body and soul. The trichotomous man that's body, soul, and spirit. Uh, I, love the, I love those expressions, and um, to me, I find, them, I find them useful. All right, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Speaking in the first person, speaking, uttering the actual words of, of Jesus himself, but still in the parable, I mean, still in the metaphor, still in the poetry, still speaking in the feminine voice as a feminine noun is, is wisdom in this respect. All right. And it's not the first, like I say, we've had the first person prior to this. Where did that switch? It switched in verse 4, right? 
Because in verse 1, it's third person. Wisdom call, lifts up her voice. Not my voice, but her voice. Um, She takes her stand in verse 2. So again, that's third person. She cries out. Verse 3 is third person. But then to you, O men, I call. There's where it switches to the first person. All right, so we're in first person prior to uh, prior to verse 12. But even then it shifts back because there's my mouth, my mouth, my instruction in verse 10. But then it's third person in verse 11. Wisdom is better than jewels. All desirable things cannot compare with her. That's the third person pronoun, her. Anyway, verse 12, it is in the first person. In fact, it reintroduces it. I, wisdom, with a pronoun and a noun, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So we got double hate there in verse 13. All right, double hate. This is a love-hate dichotomy. We want to know this for what it is. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. We'll have some points here on this and some verses that that connect this with New Testament application to where we understand it's undeniably a reference to Jesus Christ. He is to us the wisdom of God and the power of God. There is none other. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. Now, this is the way it ought to be, quite often, though, it's not, <laughs> okay? It's not hard to point out a king that's not ruling by God's wisdom. That's easy to do. So, does that mean the Bible's wrong? How do we connect this verse to reality, then? How do we relate this passage to what we see all around us every day? Do we view this as an ideal? Do we view this, do we, should we insert some words there to say, well, if they know what they're doing... <laughs> if they're obedient, if they're following the design. But I, I'd be very hesitant to put words in there that aren't in there. So what, what's this really talking about? Oh, I love those who love me. Well, that sounds kind of selfish. <laughs> All right. I mean, don't even unbelievers do that? What, what good is it to you if you only love those who love you? And should you not love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Okay. So... I'm just giving a first impression here as we as we read through these verses. Understand that these it takes a lot of untying. It takes a lot of development on this. Um, we do love those who hate us, and it goes beyond that. But I think we see, we see here this intimacy. I love those who love me. This is more than just the unconditional, sacrificial, integrity love. This is the, the rapport love. This is the fellowship that we can have as we love the Lord our God. And those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. And we understand we've got a context here that's beyond time and space. We actually have reward that's for all eternity. It's beyond this life. That's why I think we do better if we go back to the king's reigning as beyond this life, as beyond the, uh, the, the temporal details of um, this present age. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. My, my yield better than choice is silver. Well, where's the yield? When do you get the yield? When do you get the profit? When do you get to, I mean, it's one thing to have assets on a balance sheet, but it's just numbers on paper until you cash it out. It's just a number that, that yeah, maybe it looks good today, but boy, it can sure tank tomorrow. So when do we when can we actually say I have more than just wealth on paper I actually have a yield I have a profit I have uh the 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 the, the permanent blessings okay I'm giving it away aren't I it's, it's it's in glory it's in heaven it's after mortality is done all right that's when this uh particular investment matures when is it that uh, a, a particular uh, you know, uh, asset actually becomes assigned? See. All right. 
So uh, my yield is better than the choice of silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice to endow those. So here's an endowment. When do you receive your endowment? It's the, on the eternal basis of, uh, of our final judgment. For you and I in the church age, it's the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Okay? For Old Testament believers reading this, they've got a different, uh, they've got the, uh, the Revelation 20 judgment that you and I will participate in seated there with Christ. To endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. And how full is your treasury going to be? How full is my treasury going to be? Remember, heaven is not equal. There will be uh, abundantly rewarded believers and there will be losers that have resurrection body and nothing else to show. Even what they do have is going to be taken away and given to someone else. All right, so I think we do better at this passage if we see the real wealth on a post-mortem basis, (laughs) right? Once we depart through physical death or rapture, once we depart this realm and we enter into glory, then is when our portfolio uh, is, uh, is manifest and displayed. And then we see the, uh, the yield and the endowment. All right. First principle, though. Who does wisdom dwell with? Who does wisdom live with? Well, unlike the unstable woman, Wisdom actively dwells with those who actively dwell in the Word of God. This is a mutual, reciprocal dwelling. Wisdom actively dwells with those who actively dwell in the Word of God. We're talking about abiding in the Word. We're talking about John 15. We're talking about dwelling with Jesus Christ. And this is where the active fellowship comes in. We have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. They come and they dwell with us. It's, it's described both directions in the, in the Scriptures. In Proverbs, in John, in 1 John, 2 John, all right, 2 John verse 9. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. All right, this is who, or in the context of, of uh, how they choose to dwell, how they choose to fellowship, wisdom and the disciple of wisdom, Jesus Christ and the disciple of Jesus Christ. On what basis do you dwell together? On what basis do you fellowship? All right. And so we have parallels. I enjoy John 8, John 15, 2 John 9. We ought to be familiar with all of these. I don't think any one of these is going to be a newsflash with you. And you'll notice there's a difference between cohabitating and dwelling, <laughs> okay? You can, you can habitate under a roof with another person and have very little to do with that person. Very infrequent discussions and the few that you have are unpleasant and uh, you're, you're strangers under the same roof. And uh, there's no basis for like-mindedness. There's no basis for fellowship. There's, there's sometimes, and, and the longer it lasts, the worse it gets. You get more and more distant. What is it that you choose to fellowship in? All right, in John 8, 31, the, term is, the verb is meno, to continue, to remain, to abide, or to dwell. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide, continue, remain, or dwell in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you know, this is an active choice on your part. You may choose to dwell in the word of God, or you can follow the path that most people do. They don't abide in the word of God. They don't dwell there. They don't remain there. They visit it occasionally. They check it out here or there when, when they've got a question or they've got an issue. But they don't live in the Word of God. It's a huge difference. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when we talk about how we dwell with the Word and how the Word dwells with us, we recognize that it's an active voice. We're the ones doing it. Okay? Or when the Word is doing it, the Word is the one that's doing it. Both Old Testament and New Testament alike, we find that the Word of God is an active agent. It thinks, it chooses, it does things. Doctrine will do things. 
if you take it within you and let it dwell richly within you. The Word of God will do things. It will watch over you. It will guard you. It will protect you. The Word of God does some amazing things. It performs its work in you who believe. So long as you take it by faith, there it is. All right? But you'll note, and I, and I love this context, because this you can point this out to anybody. Verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. All right? And how many of us would be happy with just that verse? How many of us are just, you know, peachy delighted that, hey, somebody got saved. Isn't that great? Okay? Yeah, it is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not unhappy about that. I'm very happy that they got saved, but I'm not going to stop there. Okay? I came back from vacation and I heard that uh, Chris Ray had accepted uh, Jesus Christ for eternal life. Man, that was amazing news. I was happy for that. Happy for him, happy for, for Trish, happy for his, uh, their kids, happy for uh, everybody, you know, happy for Dan. Dan happened to be the guy that was there when it happened, right? But, you know, was I going to grumble about it and say, well, you know, what are you doing? I gave you the gospel five different times. How come you never, you, you never uh, got saved when I was preaching at you? Well, you know, I'm going to get all offended that, that Dan stole my treasure or whatever? No. I'm happier than anything. If I'd have, known, I'd have gone on vacation a month prior if I could have gotten him saved sooner. You know, maybe I'll go back on vacation, see if we can get more people saved. <laughs> but as happy as I am, as, as happy as I am that he has eternal life, it can't stop with that. Now that he's saved, he's got a bullseye on his back. Now he's a target. Now he's, he's a soldier in the angelic conflict. And now he's on the other side from where he had been before. And now the attacks are going to start coming in. So he's got to get fed. He's got to become a disciple. He's got to grow. He's got to live in the Word of God. He's got to retrain his mind from everything that he used to know or thought he knew before he got saved. Any believer does. I'm using one guy as an example, but every believer is in that spot. Great, you're saved. Now you've got to grow. You have to grow. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, notice, he says, you're not done. This is the first step of the rest of your life. If... Third class condition. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. If you continue in my word, now that you have eternal life, you are a child of truth and you need to be living in the truth. And the continuous action of meno, present tense, continuous action, it, it's, it's nonstop. You have to live there. Now where you live, where you abide, where you dwell, where you remain, this speaks of long-term consistency, Right? I live in Austin, Texas. Well, technically not. I'm out of the city limits. <laughs> All right? Um, so I live in Jollyville. Uh, that's where I live. That's where I remain. That's where I dwell. That's where I sleep most nights. Okay? More than 300 a year. More than 350 a year. I mean, I, I, most nights. Unless I'm on a missionary trip or a conference or something. Or a vacation. Now, my children would love it if I could live in Orlando. Right? They would be, it would be great if, if, in their mind, my daughters, I tell you, if, if uh, Orlando Bible Church needed a pastor and they could turn the Hard Rock Hotel into the parsonage, my girls would be there seven days a week, 365 days a year. Are you kidding me? Um, so that's the illustration, right? I don't minnow, I don't remain or dwell in Orlando, Florida see, or wherever else. Kiev, Ukraine. I, I've been to Kiev seven times now. And I've stayed for two weeks each time. But I'm just, that's just visiting, all right? That's just a sojourn. That's just a, 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 a journey. That's a short stay. I live here. I've lived, I've lived in Texas since 1991, all right? This is where I abide, I remain, I dwell, I'm here constantly. This is where I belong. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I know my way around. You know, if you're in a strange place, you're not sure, well, where's the, where's the bathroom? Where's the kitchen? Where, you know, where do they keep the, you know, if, if, you, if you can't find your own refrigerator, you probably don't live there. All right? And here's the thing. There are Christians, countless, and they can't find the refrigerator. They're very rarely in the Word of God. They don't live in the Word of God. And if they just happen to coincidentally stumble into a refrigerator, oh, that's right. And so they grab a snack 
And then they're, they're kind of lost until the next time. They don't know their way around. They're not comfortable. See? And this should be where we're comfortable. Home is where you belong. Home is where you, ha- you're, you have security and refuge and shelter. And um, we ought to be living in the Word of God. We ought to be so comfortable in the Word of God, we're actually uncomfortable outside of the Word of God. When we have a season that we're not in the Word of God, we know, oh, kind of, this doesn't feel right. I need to be back under truth. Although it was kind of fun having a Sunday where I didn't put a necktie on. <laughs> All right. That's John chapter 8. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Clearly, this is now the consequence. This is the result of obeying the if. This is not the freedom you got by being saved. Everybody has that. Everybody that got saved has freedom from the, from the penalty of sin. They're not going to go to hell when they die, but they're not yet free from the power of sin. They need daily freedom from the power of sin. See, it's the Word of God. Receive the Word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. You need day by day, moment by moment. You need to be rescued or saved or delivered from temptations and the power of sin and everything else when it comes right down to it, all right? So you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. And how many Christians are free from the penalty of sin, but they're still enslaved by the power of sin? They're just as carnal as, as for the most part, on a daily basis, they're just as carnal as they used to be, as they ever were, as unbelievers, because they're not living in the Word of God. If you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're going to be conformed to this age. And that's a, that's, a, that's a carnal existence. No question about that. All right, John 15, and verse 7. And I love the fact that we can approach this with different metaphors. We can approach this with different figurative language whereby we can understand the literal application, the literal reality. Our hermeneutic blesses us in this regard to uh, know and understand and apply the literal truth, even if it's being communicated in figurative language. I am the vine. (laughs) Okay? We take that literally? How do we handle this? Now, it's a parable. We get it. You are the branches. And if you were with us in the Life of Christ series, you understand how special this is. Because there's tons of I am messages, well, seven, I am messages, right? I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the light. And in all of these I am messages, none of them are followed up with a and you are until you get to this one. Okay? He doesn't say I am the bread of heaven and you are the the butter. I am the bread, you are the butter. I am the light, you are the wick. No, nothing like that. I am the door, you are the knob. I am the vine, you are the branches. Aha. Okay? And here is not only a metaphor, here is not only a a, a poetic passage that communicates a, a wonderful truth about our Savior, but it brings us into the same wonderful truth and connects us with that truth. You are the branches. He who abides in me, guess what? That's the same meno we saw with the if you, if you abide in me. Okay, now it's the he who, he who abides in me. So again, it's voluntary, it's volitional. You can choose to be this person or not be this person. But he who abides in me and I in him. Aha. Now we're back to Proverbs again, where wisdom is actively dwelling. We are dwelling in wisdom and wisdom is dwelling in us. We have the basis of this fellowship and it comes in the Word of God. The Word of God is dwelling in me. So Scripture comes alive. So the wisdom is available and and it comes to my thinking. and, and, And you ever wonder how ideas pop into your head? Well, what are you putting in your head? <laughs> what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Okay? If you spend your time dwelling on truth, thinking about this passage, thinking about that passage, then don't be shocked if an extra passage pops up that you weren't thinking about, but the Lord throws it in there, the Holy Spirit throws it in there. 
Because that's what you were thinking about anyway. You're thinking about truth. And you're having fellowship. But I think for a lot of Christians, they struggle in that regard. They don't, because they're not thinking Scripture. They're thinking football. They're thinking quarterbacks. They're thinking Super Bowl. Okay? My buddy Rick Wyke wants me to become a Carolina Panthers fan. Because he lives in Carolina, and he's a Carolina Panthers fan, and they beat my Seahawks. So he's, he's invited me now to become a Carolina Panthers fan. That's kind of tough to do, to become a fan of the team that beat you. All right. But I'm certainly not going to be a, uh, a uh, John Elway fan. Come on. Or a Denver Broncos fan. That, that'll happen. Okay. And, and I never in the world would have been a New England fan. I told Warren Dowd that Sunday night. There's no way. I'll lose my salvation before I root for the Patriots. <laughs> to which Warren replied, you'll lose your salvation if you root for the Patriots. <laughs> so, see, we were able to fellowship over eternal security, okay, in a football context. But other, other folks, though, all they can do is talk football and they have no spiritual basis for any of it. I can talk football with believers. I can talk football with unbelievers. One of those is not going to be fellowship. One of those might not be either, but it could be. You see what I'm saying? Now, the, um, when you are fellowshipping, the nature of rapport, the nature of fellowship is such okay, that it typically stays in that same realm. It typically stays in the same topic, in the same subject. Right? Otherwise, it's not fellowship. If, if, if my wife is talking to me about the children and, and, and an issue with school or a, or a, a, a struggle or whatever, and, and she's, she's sharing those things with me, and then I come back with um, something out of left field, okay? I come back with, with whatever. You know, hey, did you see the, the Donald Trump speech today? Well, that's not fellowship. Because she's talking about the children... And I come back with something from politics or work or sports or, or, or whatever. We're not fellowshipping at that point. All right? But if she's talking to me about the children and I contribute something else about the children and she comes back and I'm giving Scripture and she's giving Scripture, that's fellowship. He who dwells in me and I in him. He who abides in me and I in him. And so now we have the dynamic of the back and the forth. And we're in the same realm. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's not a pleasant consequence. Okay? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is a powerful prayer life of a like-minded believer in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Fellowshipping with Christ, fellowshipping with the Father. This is not a name it and claim it prosperity uh, theology heresy. Don't get all greedy and, 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 and excited and start rubbing your hands like you got a magic genie in a lamp or something. Like, ooh, ooh I can ask whatever I want. Hello, uh, you know, Lamborghini. Um, all right. The, the desire for the Lamborghini did not come from fellowship with Jesus Christ. It didn't come by abiding in His Word and His Word abiding in me. As if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever your transformed thinking desires. That's what it is. It, it, it's not ask whatever your untransformed, conformed to this age uh, thinking desires. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit. And so prove, demonstrate, exhibit to be my disciples. The living testimony of living in the Word of God. And then finally then, uh, 2 John and verse 9. 2 John, verse 9. First, second, and third John. Each one's just, uh, or second, third John are just one chapter each. So don't say 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. Just say 2 John 9. That's all you've got to say. 2 John 9. Or say 2 John, if you want to imitate Donald Trump. 
say to John, like two Corinthians or two. Actually, in his defense, I'm told, I don't know this for a fact, but I've been told that that's the usage in uh, Scotland. That's the usage in the United Kingdom. And maybe Linty can share this with me. Or, but they, they do say 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 John, 2 John. They do. All right. Well, then. All right. So everyone that's all wrapped up out around the axles because he didn't call it 2 Corinthians. He called it 2 Corinthians. Um, whatever the case may be. All right. Where am I? 2 John. Verse 9. And uh, even if I precede this a little bit, notice, um, watch yourselves. Why? Well, because there's deceivers out there. Verse 7 says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And before the literal man of sin arrives, there are many, many types of Antichrist that precede him. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Don't lose what has been done. Don't throw away your reward. Don't sacrifice eternal fruit for temporal uh, issues. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. And that's an interesting expression. If you're not abiding, you're going too far. And does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Notice that? Do you want to have God? What does that mean to have God? This is vital. We're going to come back to this in in Galatians because it talks about Christ will be of no benefit to you, to those carnal believers that plunge into legalism. Okay, that's Galatians chapter 5. But here's how John's expressing it. Does not have God as an abiding fellowship uh, resource. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. How do you have the Father and the Son? You keep them in your pocket. Okay, do you have, what do you have? Okay, this is the, the neat use of having, right? Like I have a headache, or I don't have a headache. I have, um, you know, it, it's having in a, in, a, in a reality, in an existence, in a sphere. I have uh, the Father and I have the Son on a fellowship basis when I'm abiding in the Word of God. Okay, and that's what we're talking about here. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. This is, this is the basis for fellowship and disfellowship. Association, disassociation. This is what we're talking about in, in uh, Proverbs 8. Who does wisdom associate with? Who does wisdom disassociate with? Who does she love and who does she hate? Who does she have nothing at all to do with? And then we ask ourselves, what are we on guard against? Who does she hate? Who does she love? Because we see in verse 17 is the love. I'm I'm back to Proverbs 8 now. I love those who love me. Those who diligently seek me will find me. This is the fellowship basis. Those who come to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What What a benefit. Ask, seek, knock. The more you explore within the things of the Lord, the deeper you're going to get. But what does she hate? Uh, uh, To hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Those that are not contributing to this fellowship. Those that are walking in darkness. Those that are are, um, not... uh, like-minded with you in the priority of the word of god and they may be saved they you may spend all eternity with them but they are presently not disciples they're your targets in terms of discipleship okay because they're not disciples you got to make them a disciple if you can otherwise come out from among them and be ye separate what fellowship has light and darkness what harmony is christ and belial so it is a love hate dichotomy understand that the fear of the lord hates evil the fear of the lord hates evil if you do not hate evil i would submit that you do not fear the lord because the fear of the lord hates evil okay if you're doing what what the fear of the lord doesn't do then you don't fear the lord it's like it's it's the same aspect with love believes all things hopes all things okay i don't believe all things but love does (laughs) <laughs> all right 
endures all things. I don't endure all things, but love does. See the difference there? All right. So the fear of the Lord hates evil. If I fear the Lord, then the fear of the Lord is going to hate evil. I'm going to have that like-mindedness. Again, it's an issue of how my thinking is being molded and shaped by the standards of the Word of God. Proverbs 8.13, we've seen it. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way, the perverted mouth I hate. And in look, see the first items they list there as aspects of evil, pride and arrogance. Okay? It's not murderers or rapists or child molesters or homosexuals or, or uh, you know, other, other aspects that we call evil. It's pride and arrogance. That's what starts it all. Satan's evil started with pride and arrogance. All systems of evil start with pride and arrogance. Substituting yourself for God, becoming your own God. It's pride and arrogance. And that's something. We'll come back to this again because it comes up in chapter 16, Proverbs 16 and verse 6. Hmm. What a chapter, huh? The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> But the Lord weighs the motives. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you are okay with it, all right. But the Lord's eternal standard says, uh-uh. Okay? Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Quit asking Him to bless what you're doing and start doing what He's blessing. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked, for the day of evil. God's not thwarted by the design of the volitional accountability of this, of this uh, world. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. But uh, Notice verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. Don't just think of those as concepts. Understand that's actually a Christological reference. Who is grace and truth? Who is loving kindness and truth? The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Are you saved? Walk like it. Have you been atoned for? Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Anyway, it goes on. There's a lot more. It's a a neat chapter. We'll get there. But it's in agreement. Again, verse 6, the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil because the fear of the Lord hates evil. Okay? So connect Proverbs 8, 13 with 16, 6, and I think you got a pretty good picture on that. Psalms 45 and verse 7. Psalm 45, 7. See, it's okay to hate, but you have to hate what God hates, and you have to hate by the fear of the Lord. Don't just hate in the carnal hatred. Okay, be angry yet do not sin. It's very easy to be angry and sin. Okay, you can sin in an angry way. That's not what we're talking about. And I'm a little bit guilty of conflating terms here because hate is not anger. All right, hate is love. Hate is a divine, divine hate is a divine love application. All right, Psalm 45 in verse uh, 7. And I find it interesting. This is a love song. Okay? For the choir director, according to Shoshanim, a maskil of the sons of Korah, a song of love. Do you know what a real love song is? Here's one. And he's just overflowing. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of man. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. It's a love song and celebrating the glories of, uh, of our King. Verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It's a dichotomy. They're both true at the same time. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. 
So how can God have a God? Okay. Well, we know, we, we understand Trinity. We understand God the Son, we understand God the Father. We, we don't have a problem with this verse, we love this verse, uh, but Jesus used it in the New Testament, and uh, others will struggle with it. But I find this powerful. There is God who has a God, and yet that God has anointed him. Hello, Messiah. Hello, Christ. The language of anointing. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. How can God have fellows? Well, because God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as the son of God, of course, he has no fellows. He has, he's one with God and the Trinity. But as man, yeah, he's got fellows, you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. All of your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. Out of the ivory palaces, into this world of woe. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Now the church is a mystery in the Old Testament, but with our New Testament perspective, we can go back to Psalm 45 verse 9 and there's the body of Christ right there, the queen. The church is right there, the bride of Christ, as the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Bow down to him. So we got different applications to draw there. Psalm 97 and verse 10. And I'm just showing you the love-hate dichotomy here. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. It's a good you-who verse. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Do you love the Lord? Why are you not hating evil? Why are you tolerating it? Why are you approving it? Why are you telling them that it's okay? Don't tell them that. It's not okay. So, well, I want to love them. You're, you're misusing the word love. Okay? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Speak the truth in love. Don't affirm what they're doing. Reject what they're doing. That's love. Speak the truth in love. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Yeah? Finally, Jude 23. Not Jude chapter 1, Jude, verse 23. It's got to be a record. When do you get to 2 John and Jude in the same, yeah, the same message? This is great. You want to avoid the worldly-minded, okay? In the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. You and I live in a culture of mockers, and all they're doing is pursuing their own lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Sadly, they, they creep into churches. But you, so we don't want to be worldly-minded. We want to be godly-minded. We want to be Christ-minded. We want to be heavenly-minded. Fix your mind on the things above. Have fellowship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. And you won't be worldly-minded. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You're abiding in the Word of God, you're walking in love, you're a true disciple, and you are imminently expecting the trumpet to sound at any moment. You have a mindset of moment-by-moment imminency for that trumpet. That's huge. We'll have more on that in, in Galatians 5. All right? It requires an imminent expectation. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Can you walk in love to a weaker brother? Have mercy on some who are doubting and save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And what's mercy with fear? Well, those are the ones you can't get out of the fire. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. 
You can be merciful towards them, but you can't snatch them. All right? Yeah, there we have it. Um, wow, what did I get through? A and B, there's a C and a D, but I'm out of time. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the blessing we have to fellowship in your word. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we see what the true fellowship actually is. Father, it's not uh, chit-chat, it's not snacking, it's not, it's not earthly stuff. It's dwelling in the word of God with you, with your son, with one another, in the context of the Word of God, I thank you for true fellowship. And I rejoice, Father, that you've opened our eyes to these blessings. I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.